0: Welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. We help committed people stop wasting time and stop compromising on their goals. We build and rebuild strong people through one-on-one custom fitness solutions. No filler, no nonsense, no time to waste. Let's talk about it. Hey, hello and welcome to the Feel Strong Fitness Podcast. My name is Justin McClintock. This week we have Katie Foster on the podcast. Katie is the owner of Moab Wild Strength and Conditioning. She's an incredible coach. We met going through some continuing education together. She is out in Moab doing amazing work for people. We get into it. This was prompted by, we had, a, we we're having a conversation in a group call, and she has just casually mentioned that she was six years into a PhD before she started coaching, and now she's an amazing coach who owns her own company. This is really interesting. I love talking to her. I was a big fan of Katie going in, and I think you're gonna be after this too. Here's Katie Foster. Katie Foster, welcome to the Feel Strong Podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. I am excited to have you here. Uh, I want you to give people some background on you, but just as a quick lead up here, uh, Katie and I know each other through a coaching cohort. We met doing some active life stuff. We've been on some Zoom calls together, just sort of like in our our coaching clinician network. And somewhat recently, she mentioned that she had a very significant background I had no idea about. I know Katie is a really sharp, thoughtful coach (laughs) and she just dropped out of nowhere. Oh yeah, and I've got this master's. It's like, wait, what are you talking? How do you... We, we absolutely have to talk about this. Uh, so that was sort of the inspiration for, for digging a little deeper, but would you tell people like a little bit of your journey? How do, you, how do you end up at Moab Wild Strength?
1: Okay, so let's start at the end. So I founded Moab Wild Strength. Uh, it's actually Wild Strength and Conditioning, but my website is Moab Wild Strength. So Wild Strength and Conditioning was launched March 1st of 2020 But prior to that, um, in fall of 2019, I was six and a half years into a PhD program in atmospheric science, and I was in the phase of just trying to turn the crank on finishing things up, writing one more paper, and then getting ready to defend my dissertation. And I quit at that point in the career and just decided to totally pivot. It was like, my ladder is up the wrong wall. So to back up even further from that, so when I was in school, I was really strong in the math and sciences and I was always getting pushed to do more of that. It's like, oh, you're really good at this and it was kind of an unusual trait. So in undergrad, I majored in physics at UC San Diego, uh, which was a pretty hardcore program and I thrived in the intensity of how hard it was, but I didn't have this clear vision of what I wanted to do with it. So I just kind of kept doing the next step and the next step. So the next step from there was, I'm a pretty outdoorsy person. I'm really into the earth and mountains. So I decided to go into geophysics. I did an internship in geophysics where I was, I spent the summer tromping around the Olympic Peninsula and then also this landslide in Colorado. Uh, installing geophones and looking at earthquakes. And I was like, this is pretty fun because I spend most of my time outside kind of just doing grunt labor. Um, So then I went into geophysics, starting a PhD program, but a couple years in, things were not really shaping up the way I wanted them to, so I wrapped it into a master's thesis, defended a master's, and then jumped over to a different department at the same school and went into atmospheric science and I did six, over six years of atmospheric science. Um, on all fronts, it probably looked like I was a star student. I was giving presentations at international conferences. I had a couple of published papers. I had helped with it. I'd worked with a team to develop a couple of new instruments and do some pretty cool field campaigns. But every time I talked with people about the next step in my career, I just felt this general lack of motivation. It's like, yeah, I don't know, maybe I'll do this, maybe I'll do that. Um, People talked to me about doing postdocs with them when I would give talks and I was never very excited. I always had this like kind of cloud of feeling depressed about where I was, but I couldn't exactly name why. Um, And then the last couple of years of the PhD program, my mental health took a noticeable decline and I was getting, I was struggling with a lot of anxiety, depression, and I had these physical symptoms too. Like I would just become totally overwhelmed with exhaustion like an hour into working. And the only way to make myself feel better would be to shift, go be in my body, go do a workout or go for like a hike or a trail run and then come back And it was like this slide where I would bring myself up by being physical and engaged in the world. And then I would just kind of like slide back down in front of my computer. And I'd be like, okay, I need to go back outside again. Go up, slide back down. And then I just had this come to Jesus moment where I was like, life is too short for me to just be living this way. And step one was really just leaving that career. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do, but this is not it. Um, I think I've just been... My ladders have just been on the wrong wall. Like, I'm putting in a lot of hard work, but it's not paying off. So step one was quitting. I told my advisor I was for real done, <laughs> which he didn't really accept. But And then ironically, three days later, so I quit on a Friday, and then on Monday, I realized that I was pregnant with my kiddo. And I was like, that's, I'm really glad I already quit (laughs) because now I can just transition to focusing on my health and my mental health and my family's health and growing this human inside me in a body that's like heading towards a happy place and not in a super stressed place of like trying to finish my PhD. So it took me a while to let go of that fallacy where I was really unhappy but every time I talk to most people I talk to about it they're like yeah but you're so close and you've put in so much work behind you so it's really easy to fall into this trap of I've put in so much work for this thing and I've like I was looking at it as like I've suffered a lot for this PhD I want to finish it so that it can be behind me and then I really had this strong mental shift where I accepted that I didn't have to finish it. I really could just let it go and nothing bad would happen. So here we are two and change years later and I have zero regrets. I wish I just quit sooner and pivoted sooner because um, I love this journey that I'm on now and I'm really excited to keep going on it. And I'm like, man, if I'd started this in my 20s, it'd be fucking awesome. But,
0: Better late than never. <laughs> For real, like, and it is better late than never. That's an amazing story. What's a geophone?
1: Geophone is a little instrument that just picks up in three dimensions a seismic wave. So it, like, plugs into the ground. There's a bunch of different versions of them. Um, there's some permanently installed geophones that are hyper, hyper sensitive, so you can have one sitting anywhere here on the continental US and you could easily pick up earthquakes happening on the other side of the world. Or you can also take these little geophones that are just meant to basically listen to more localized earthquakes or tremors that are happening. Like in the Pacific Northwest, we were listening to um, this tremoring that happens where one of the ocean plates is dipping under the plate of the Pacific Northwest and just causing this like stick slip situation. And it's very periodic. People just picked up on this. Um, it's probably been like a decade ago now. So a geophone is a, a microphone for the earth.
0: That's I didn't realize that anything was that sensitive.
1: That's pretty sweet. Uh,
0: so that's an amazing story and especially Like, as you said, you had done so much work. You were on this path and you were, you were, you were a success. This was not a situation where you were trying and failing and it wasn't working out. It sounds like you were doing really well. People wanted you to work with them. You were on that successful track, which also resonates with me. I've talked about this on in other podcasts and stuff, but I was doing the same thing in a different career. And like, basically, it was laid out for me like, yeah, you can, you can, you can keep doing this for the rest of your life. This is what it looks like. This is where you go. Congratulations, you made it. And I was like, I, I didn't, I'm not sure I made it. And I love that phrase, I had my ladder up the wrong wall. You said this is sort of building. Was there like, was there an incident? Was there a moment when you realized that you were going to quit? Like what was that moment when it really snapped into focus? Like, nope, I'm not doing this. I need to call my advisor and have this hard conversation.
1: It was actually a series of of moments because I had this, these, this battle going on inside me where I would have the strong impulse to quit, and then the other parts of me that were saying that I should finish um, and that I had to do this to prove something to the world or prove something to my family was still a louder voice. And I had to have this battle a lot of times. It was really just like iterations and iterations until I had a battle that just looked like a breakdown but I'd had other breakdowns before. It wasn't like the first time that I cried about hating my career. (laughs) I just had a battle where I was like, okay, I am strong enough to do this. I'm gonna quit.
0: This is extremely familiar to me because I have a, a number of people I know, good friends of mine. I don't know why this is, but they are overwhelmingly female, though not exclusively female, who had a successful career or were on an obvious path to a successful career doing that for a while and at some moment, often then, I don't know how old you are, but often this is sort of like late 20s, early 30s, something happens yeah. and they say, I'm gonna do something completely freaking different. Everyone throws up their hands and is shocked and then they go and be a tremendous success at this completely freaking different thing, including my wife, but I have uh, I'm an epidemiologist who's very successful, who used to be a stage manager. I have all of these people who like, were doing wild other careers and something just changed and all of them went through a little bit of this of like but i'm already like i made it i'm doing well this is supposed to be a success right and and having that internal dialogue seems like a, a really significant part of the journey forward of like e- coming to grips with whether or not it matters what other people think and whether it matters or not you know what other people in your current industry think about that
1: yeah there's a lot of societal pressure to do certain things and especially when we're young we're so vulnerable to pressures from other people and there's not I think there's just a real lack of emphasis on in our culture in America of people finding their own passions like it's told to us I've heard it like find something that you love but when are you given the opportunity to just go and flail around and explore and find the thing that really calls to you, especially in a world where you're always in school and you go from one school to the next school. Like I was just kind of in survival mode up until I quit. I, I then, after I quit, I floundered around and was just coaching um, like 10 hours a week at a local gym, but otherwise unemployed. And that was actually a really hard time. It's like, Jesus what the, what am I going to do? And I felt this strong urge to fill the void that my PhD had taken up with like something else heinous. <laughs> but I didn't. It's like, calm down, Katie, you can it's going to be okay. And then once I had really let my nervous system settle down, it's when it be just clicked to me like, all right, I'm going to op- I'm going to turn my garage into a nice place that I can train people out of and train myself in and start taking clients for personal training.
0: That's a huge shift. Uh, just to double back and highlight something you just said, it reminds me of something that an undergrad professor said to me, but it's something along the lines of like, school teaches you that life is just a series of crises and the real world yeah. isn't actually mm-hmm. like that. Like it teaches you that it's this constant series of emergencies and that's not what the real world is. And I've had the same experience more with um, grad students and medical students running up into some mm-hmm. struggles because they've, and not, I don't mean this in a mean way, but they've never been in the real world. They've been in school since they were four and they're 26. And suddenly they're like, what do you mean? Like, I'm supposed to, I got in trouble for being late to work and I don't, oh, what's going on? Like, it's just, this yeah. is just the real world. It's, it's okay. Now, <laughs> the, you quit your program on Friday. You found out you were pregnant on Monday. How was, mm-hmm. and you said that was, you felt great about that. That instilled nothing but panic in me because I started thinking about health insurance and babies are expensive. How, did you, how were you oh, still yeah. happy in that situation?
1: Well, when you're making a graduate student stipend, <laughs> there's really no place to go but up. <laughs> so I was like, I don't know, we've made it, made it this far. It can't possibly get much worse. <laughs> uh, my husband's a teacher at the high school here so, you know, he's not exactly raking it in, but we do have some steady salary. And I liked, I, I don't know, I was okay with just being thrust into it. I was relieved that I had already let go of, was in the process of letting go of my stress around letting go of my career before taking on this pregnancy.
0: And when did you start coaching people for the first time? What was your journey into coaching?
1: I was at a CrossFit affiliate gym in Laramie where I was doing my master's and PhD. I joined that gym in 2012. And from the moment that I joined it, I was all in. I like totally drank all the Kool Aid, went as often as I could, overtrained myself, etc. But I loved it. I really did love it. And it was my lifeline while I was in grad school. I did. Uh, I always went to the 11 a.m. class, so I would go to school really early in the morning, get a lot of work done. i I always had that 11 a.m. break on the horizon. It's like, okay, this is coming up. I would walk over to the gym, get a hard workout in, go back. And I very quickly became very interested in like mastering technique and movements in the CrossFit gym. And I was always asking the coaches and the owners a lot of questions and got to the point where they're like, look, I think you should just start researching some of this stuff yourself and go get your level one and start coaching here. So I did. I went and got my level one in 2017 or 2016, I think. can't remember. I did it down in Denver. And then I started coaching just a few hours a week at the CrossFit gym on top of my PhD work, but I did love that a lot. And that was uh, really awesome for my personal development because I had a lot of anxiety talking in front of people and being the center of attention. And so I was telling myself like I would feel kind of sick to my stomach to go coach a class. I was like, okay, this is good for you, Katie, you can get through this. (laughs) But I learned to love it and pretty quickly I learned to let go of that anxiety and just embrace taking care of other people. It's like, oh, I just need to let go of the part where I'm worried about myself and just worry about my clients and my students. And I love that piece, and that's what I hold on to now. Like, it saves me every day, no matter what mood I wake up in. I can just make that pivot for my first client. Like, okay, this is about this client now. And it really switches me into a new frame of mind that feels really strong and healthy and grounded for me.
0: How do you feel about talking to groups now?
1: Good, I did. I taught a breathwork course to a group of hospital workers over the last like month and a half. And it was super fun. I, I like winging things more than not. Like when I would give presentations, I hated rehearsing presentations in the science world. I hated rehearsing presentations, you know, your colleagues and professors always tell you, practice it like 20 times. Like, I don't want to practice it because then I just get nervous that I'm like supposed to do it perfectly or something. I'd much rather just wing it. And I still thrive in that setting, like, okay, let's go. But it's nice in a interactive setting where you're expecting people to kind of give you some interaction back and some feedback. It's so much easier to do that because you can just reach out to one, somebody in your class and say like, how is what was that experience like for you?
0: So actually, focusing and listening, and then just using that in the moment. Like you have an, I'm sure you have an outline of where you're going, just like you do for a session with a client, but you haven't written out your greeting or how you're going to talk about these movements or things like that. Right. It is deeply unsurprising to me that the person who is great at physics really enjoyed studying movement. I've often thought of people. I once uncharitably told someone that I just thought of them as a series of rods and levers and that was just how I looked at them moving because it seems very obvious like, oh no, we can, Olympic lifting is fairly straightforward. It's just physics. And if we put it together like this, it works very, very well and as soon as you deviate from the best uh, vector for the force, you're going to fail miserably. But not all athletes thrive hearing that stuff I have found. (laughs) How did you make that connection to start I mean, giving a breathwork presentation to a bunch of hospital workers is some pretty high level stuff. And I remember you actually mentioning this in a group call we were on. uh, And then I remember watching a bunch of coaches get really impressed, look on their faces, and be like, I I wanna do stuff like that. How How do you even do that?
1: The thought train was during our breathwork course that we did together. I became really inspired to go out and implement it. Like, I really want to start teaching this to people, but I didn't have a good venue in town to hold something like a seminar, and so it just kind of got the wheels turning. Like, who could I reach? And I actually have a client who is at the hospital, um, and so I had the idea for working for her. It's like, you know, I bet her employees are really stressed out right now because COVID has been really rough on everybody and then now we have the supply chain issues. So I talked to her about whether she'd be interested in this for her employees and she was very game. So then I put it together, there was some back and forth about like how many classes it should be and how it should work and everything. But I just had a feeling that doing these 30 minute sessions, just in and out, nice and quick, kind of high intensity with these hospital employees would make at least some impact on their state and their well being during this hard season. There was actually this funny moment where we had agreed that it was going to happen at the start date, and then the CEO said, Everybody's really stressed out right now. Can we push it back to after the new year? And I said, No. I said, yeah, I totally, I 100% sympathize and I'm going to be uh, very, I'm going to be holding these people in a very special space and be honoring their stress levels. And we're just going to, I'm asking them for 30 minutes a week um, to do the work with me and then hopefully implement some of it into their lives. Like this is the time to not just let our health slide down this hole, but try to hold it to some, some kind of standard. And breathwork is a really good way to do that.
0: I completely agree. And it makes, it sounds obvious. Everyone's stressed out. Should we push our stress relieving activity down the road? You say, well, no, of course not. That's, <laughs> this is exactly the reason I'm showing up. But I don't feel like, you know, we have coaches and athletes listening. I'm not sure everyone would have the, uh, the wherewithal to sort of, you know, slightly stare down the hospital CEO who is trying to hire you, and and you know, hopefully this leads to other things, and say, no, we're you're not rescheduling me. I'm coming in and I'm doing my thing. I imagine there's an unspoken, or we're not doing it at all.
1: Well, I love that my job right now is to be holding myself to standards of growing personally and professionally, and helping other people, uh, helping other people develop themselves. So when I come up against walls like that, I sit back and think objectively about it. I'm like, okay, this is the time to push through.
0: What would you say your mission is? Like why coaching?
1: There are a couple layers to it. So on one hand, the way I started in this, when I chose to start my own business out of my garage, it was like, putting one foot in front of the other and just following the light, so I didn't really have a vision of where this was going to go, but I was thinking, okay, I know that helping other people makes me feel really good. I know that I have a talent for breaking things down, simplifying them, constructing a workout that leaves people feeling really good, and not trashed, and leads to significant gains, so I kind of just started there. But over the course of this last almost two years of doing this, I've really been learning a lot about just humanity and people's way of overcoming obstacles. And it's been so interesting. It's kind of turned into more of like a psychological study for me than a, than a fitness study. Like I'm learning more about psychology than I am about fitness right now, which has been really fun.
0: Uh, that totally makes sense. I and mean, we, we talk about it uh, together sometimes, but like coaching is so much building relationships and finding ways to communicate and deal with different kinds of human beings. If it was just insert sets and reps, Uh, you know, there's robots that are already trying to do it and they do that part fine enough, but that's not really what the coaching is all about.
1: Yeah. So my mission currently is helping individuals. Most of my clients are in the Moab area. I only have two people that are outside this area, but helping people reach their potential and overcome whatever obstacles are in their way. So I get a lot of clients that are motivated people, they are fit outdoors, but they have some struggles that are holding them back from really reaching their potential and their dreams. And they have obstacles that they maybe haven't even identified and certainly don't know right now how to overcome. And I'm very good at guiding them through identifying and then overcoming those obstacles so that they can go back out and crush whatever they wanna do.
0: Are, are there things that you think are unique about the kind of clients that you get living in an area like Moab?
1: Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of people out here that climb, they rock climb really hard, they mountain bike hard, or they trail run. Um, but those sports are all fairly punishing on the body. Just anytime you're out in nature, you're not always going to move symmetrically, like left to right, so it's really easy to have strength imbalances and then you're always going to have some compensating mechanisms for whatever's weak in your body because you're not being held to a standard of like lifting a weight in a certain way. There are a lot of very fit people that have big holes in their fitness, so their overall fitness is very high and their motivation is high, but they are missing something that's leaving their bodies imbalanced and ultimately breaking down.
0: And do they recognize that when they come to you? Or are they coming to you for general fitness training and, it's, and you have to kind of walk them through that?
1: Usually the motivation is they feel that something's missing and they hear that strength training is really good for you. And then they're like, well, how do I do that though? It sounds really complicated. Um, and it's been word of mouth that's been bringing me my clients. I'm not on social media, so word of mouth has been working really well. People are like, I need some, I need help. I need a, maybe it's a personal trainer that I need. And then word's been getting around that, uh, I do a good job.
0: Well, and that's huge. And especially in like a hard charging, high performing athletic community, like all of those people talk to each other and they all go see the same doctors and take the same thing. And like, it's, you know, they find things they trust and then everyone talks about the things that they trust. How do you have a conversation with someone like that with a, you know, a high-level rock climber or mountain biker or someone who's, you know, a reasonably accomplished trail runner and kind of point them out that we might need to do some, you know, slow lateral step-ups or whatever it is, something that may not be sort of the high-level strength work that they're used to in that sort of, you know, type A hard charger?
1: I think the biggest hurdle that I try to jump on right away is unlocking this idea that you have to, that you're stuck with whatever pain you have. So typically somebody who's a hard charging mountain biker, it has been mountain biking really hard out here for like 15 years, comes to me and says, well, I really, I wanna get strong. I think it's gonna help me on my mountain bike. But, and I do have, I ask them, okay, do you have any pain? And they, they kind of blow it off. They're like, well, yeah, I mean, my knees, Hurt when I'm mountain biking, especially on a long ride, and then they'll ache the next day, but it, I kind of warm up out of it. And when I get my adrenaline pumping, I don't really notice it. So it's not that big of a deal. And then I'll press more on that, like what else hurts? And oh, well, so, you know, my hips hurt too. And I have this sciatic thing, but it's no big deal. And so that's the typical person that I get. And the challenge is just, gently pushing their mindset to, this is not a permanent thing. I can actually change my body and fill in these gaps in my strength to feel really good. And my knee doesn't have to hurt ever. And it's such a simple, it's like simple, but kind of a delicate fix, right? It's not going to be like a one session fix. It's a long-term fix, but we're not doing anything really fancy. We don't have like super fancy gadgets and we're not like dry needling people and we're not doing uh, surgery on anybody, we're just giving them heavy lunges, step-ups, cossack squats, squats, deadlifts, just <laughs> all the basic stuff. Stability, shoulder, is your, are your shoulders stable? That kind of thing.
0: And you're building that stability and resiliency and just to just to Uh, make the distinction really clear, you're not doing dry needling or sports massage or things like that because those are, and I love all of those things, but those are all temporary solutions, right? There's a reason that you feel really good right afterward and then good for another couple of days and then you start feeling less good and less good and you feel like you need to go back Mm -hmm. because that's a temporary, you know, sort of an analgesic. You're providing solutions. You're saying, let's go on this slightly longer journey, but I would like you to be out of pain forever. That is the idea. We're trying to build something where you can keep doing everything you're doing. I'm not telling you to not stop mountain biking. I'm not telling you to stop doing any of these things, adding in something else to your life so you can thrive and keep doing the things you're doing. You know, if you look around, there's a reason there's not a lot of 65 year old super hard mountain bikers. Wouldn't you love to be a 65 year old hard mountain biker? There's it's possible, but we might need to slightly change how you're approaching it.
1: And I love bringing that up with my clients who are like, they could be any age, but I talk about two decades down the road, three decades down the road, what do you wanna be doing? And I I tell them, you know, I'm, my concern is I want three months from now, I want you to be able to run pain-free again, Um, but I also want you to be able to rock climb pain-free two decades from now and just do whatever you wanna do.
0: I imagine that goal resonates deeply with some of those people.
1: Yeah. It's hard to get past. You hear so many people um, just offhandedly complaining about aging and pain, and just chucking it under the bus is like this is an inevitable thing, but it is not.
0: And <laughs> I hear that stuff all the time, and I push back really hard against it. And I find it even yeah. funnier in the kind of populations you're describing because they are all doing things that you know, quote unquote, normal people are like, well, that's impossible. What are you like? We can't do that every day. You can't go like, these are superhumans. Like you're already doing things that are unusual. There's no reason you can't continue being unusual. Like you don't have to accept that aging comes with pain or disability or uh, a reduced ability or reduced access to things, reduced ability to do the things that you wanna do. Yeah. I just realized that you said you started your business of March, 2020. That was an exciting time. (laughs) That's a heck of a time to start a business. How was that?
1: Uh, Well, it was actually very lucky because I drove over to Denver and bought most of my equipment for Rep Fitness like three or four weeks before everything shut down and it was, you know, instantly unavailable. So had I dilly-dallied any longer, I would have been pretty hosed. All I had was an echo bike and a pair of one and a half poot kettlebells before I started my business. And so I bought all the equipment and like, I don't know if I picked it up in March, I forget exactly when I picked it up, but it was right before the shutdown. I went and bought a rack and two barbells, all the plates, lots more kettlebells, a few pairs of dumbbells. And then I was on a wait list for a long time for a rower and a concept bike but i may do with just the echo bike my client's call it the mean bike
0: the mean bike mean
1: bike and nice bike yeah the echo bike's <laughs> the mean bike and the concept 2 bike is the nice bike <laughs> uh
0: yeah that makes perfect sense
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: people who like the uh, who think the concept bike is hard is like you haven't spent enough time on an echo bike you don't i know they're different but they are oh yeah they're really different uh, that's a beautiful, <laughs> that's a beautiful silver lining, especially from a business owner's point of view. Thank goodness I invested in all of this right before the shutdown happened. Thank goodness I was able to make this big investment before things got locked down. How long was it? Did you yeah. have was there a pause? Were you able to like train people outdoors or anything like that? What did it look like?
1: I yeah, I was training people outside. Okay. So March, it's really nice weather here in yeah. Moab most of the year, actually. Like even right now, it's January and the high today is in the low 40s. So you, I have the garage door open. Morning clients in the winter, I've got the garage door closed and the heater on, but the rest of the day I've got the door open. So I was training people outside. Um, I only had five, four or five clients those first couple of months, but I was okay with that because I was also in my third trimester pregnancy, and I was going through the active life curriculum, the immersion course, and still wrapping my head around the whole, like, new business game. So, I was a little bit frustrated. I wanted more clients, but I didn't have the energy to go out and find them, and I was like, it's it's okay. I'm gonna have a baby in a couple months, and then I'll come back. So, then, um, Jaden toddler Jaden was born June 1st, and... By late July, I was really hungry to get back to training people. So I spent the next year training clients and bringing people in all with Jaden attached to me. So I had one of those like canvas close carry packs and he just Mm rode up front. Sometimes he was like sleeping and just kind of nestled on my chest. And sometimes he was really perky and watching everything. So he spent his first year of life attached to me Um, and coaching with me, like, probably an average of three hours a day in the gym. And it was really awesome. I would do that all over again, exactly the same way.
0: That sounds great.
1: Yeah, it was wonderful. And then he started walking and he was like, I need to be mobile. So now he's in preschool, which he absolutely loves. (laughs) So his (laughs) going through... After year one, he turned, well, my husband had the summer off to take care of him Mm -hmm. while I was coaching. And then this last fall, he started preschool. It's, I guess it's probably more like a, it's a toddler program. So people probably call it daycare, but it's technically a preschool, (laughs) Montessori preschool. So I have this window to just focus on my work and not have a baby to take care of
0: for six hours. That was the next thing I was going to ask. Like, so now what is a day in the life of Katie look like?
1: Um, Now I drop Jaden off at 8.30. I have my first client at 8.45 usually. And I have clients stacked until about two o'clock. And I try to have at least one hour break in there to get my own workout in. And then I go pick Jaden up. There's a couple of evenings that I work another hour or two during the week while my husband's home. It's pretty great.
0: That sounds wonderful.
1: Yeah, Jaden's really, really fun to hang out with. Like when I get him home, it's just who knows what kind of adventures. Basically, I just open the door and follow him. (laughs) He'll go grab his little Strider bike or we're just walking to the park and kicking a ball. We live in a really nice spot. Um, The weather is great. We have incredible access to the outdoors. Like you can drive five minutes in any direction and get to a dozen different trailheads of choice.
0: Uh, I've only spent a little bit of time in your area, but it is absolutely stunning. I also need to mention that it was nine degrees in Philadelphia when I walked to work this morning. Yeah,
1: (laughs) I put in my time with hard winters in Laramie, Wyoming, and that was a lot of the impetus for moving down here is we would come for spring break and we'd go play down in the desert and do a lot of rock climbing. I was like, man, this place is so nice when it's really cold. There's like a snowstorm happening back in Laramie and we're like stretching out in t-shirts and going for trail runs. So we had the dream of moving here and just made it happen.
0: And a snowstorm in Laramie can be like, we're not going anywhere for two days. Like, you just gotta wait. The pass is closed.
1: (laughs) And winters are so long. Like you're not out of it until July. June could be anything. Like you could have nice weather in June, but you could definitely have some very significant weather just be slobbing around.
0: So looking forward, assuming, I assume that uh, Jane will be starting some kind of schooling in the next couple of years, like a a day long school?
1: Um, Yeah, his hours might extend. He actually, we have the option for his, for him to stay later right now. My husband and I were talking about that recently, like whether it'd be worth it. He loves, he really loves school. Like this morning when I dropped him off, he was literally shrieking and squealing with delight. <laughs> like he looks in the window and sees his buddies in there and he just screams and stomps his little feet. And then I open the door and he just runs in and doesn't even look back. He's just so stoked. A <laughs>
0: social him. animal.
1: Yeah, they're having a really good time. They're doing like story time and dance parties and then they go play outside. It's a great environment.
0: So what are your plans for your business over the next couple of years? Is that part of it as, as you get more time, you're going to expand to fill that time or you, you seem pretty happy with the way things are.
1: Yeah, I have an average three or four clients a day right now. And I am pretty happy with that rate. I've actually been on this journey the last couple months of considering opening a commercial gym here, like, a big brick and mortar, real deal, and having employees. I put an offer in actually on a piece of property here, and we're I'm currently the backup offer, and we'll find out in another week whether the first offer falls through. So if that happens, it's possible that a week from now I'm going to be like, it's go time, <laughs> go play big gym. Wow. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty big, but at the same time, um, it's a win win situation where. I'm either going to pivot to charging hard on changing my business, training full-time employees. I want professional coaches for a big gym and following the active life model of uh, what their affiliates have been doing. Right. Or I'm going to nurture what I have now and see how I can fine tune helping more people. It is a little bit of a tricky problem, like being a one-on-one coach, how many, you really can only help so many people at once. You've done an amazing job, you have a huge clientele.
0: Well, a lot of Um, them aren't in person. Remember like a significant part of my book is remote, which is that helps scale it a lot because you can service them, you know, at any time and in bits and pieces, you know, I can do, 10 minutes of programming and 10 minutes of programming and 10 minutes of programming, which is different than, you know, an hour with the client, which we all know is really an hour and 20 minutes with a client. It's just an entirely different proposition.
1: Yeah. So uh, I still don't have a very solid vision for the next few years, but I'm just excited about all of the amazing evolution that's happened in the last year and a half and I'm just, I'm buckled up. I'm ready to go.
0: Would this commercial gym be your own? Would this be a giant building with Moab Wild Strength and Conditioning on the front? As opposed to like, you're not, it doesn't sound like you're opening a Lifetime Fitness or a Planet Fitness or something.
1: No, it would be a small, it'd be small group classes uh, with a lot of one-on-one attention and personal training would be a significant part of it, but it would be a building with Wild Strength and Conditioning on the front.
0: Is anyone else doing that around you? No. No. Well.
1: There's a gap in the market. <laughs> I'm the one to fill it. We'll see if this spring is the time that that's gonna happen or if it's gonna get pushed back. I am being a little picky about it, I would say, cause I don't wanna just kinda like move into any old space and um, I've been, this last month, I've been placing a lot of boundaries around what I want the business to look like and what I want my involvement to look like in the first year to look like, which has been a really awesome process for me to get solid on. So I have a dream of how this can be a really beautiful thing. And if it's not gonna live up to that standard, I just would rather do what I'm doing right now until it's ready.
0: I love it. I love everything about it, Katie. That's awesome. Well, this has been tremendous. I want you to plug anything you have to plug. I know you are, people aren't gonna believe it. You are not on social media. But if people want to <laughs> yeah. find out about you or get in touch, uh, or they're potentially in the area, how do people reach out and get in touch with you?
1: So I have a website that's functioning. It is moabwildstrength.com. And you can email me straight through the website or katie at moabwildstrength.com. But yeah, I am not on social media at
0: all. So... I mean, I'm impressed. just a- it is, it is very much thing. a double edged sword and I am impressed and more than a little jealous.
1: Yeah, I notice just when I'm on my phone, like checking emails and stuff too much during the day, I'm like, what am I doing? I, don't, I, should, I need to unplug from technology and just stay rooted and adding social media into the mix would only like dramatically exacerbate <laughs> the problem that I already have with technology. So uh, that's my personal boundary.
0: And you don't need so don't, it, like you're killing it. Like you're doing absolutely fine without it.
1: Yeah, it's going good.
0: Katie, this has been wonderful. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Justin. Thanks for giving me a good space to tell my story.
0: Thank you for doing it. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate your subscriptions. Your written reviews make a big difference. Thank you for those. Please keep them coming. Drop five stars while you're there. If you find these podcasts helpful, share them with friends, send it on. We love it when the stuff gets shared outside of our bubble, outside of you folks. Any feedback, hit us up on Instagram at feelstrongfit on Instagram. DMs are open there for all of your questions and feedback. More questions about the program or you're ready to get started, feelstrong.me is the website. feelstrong.me. If you're ready to make a change, if you're ready to feel better than you have in a long time, get in touch. My name is Justin McClintock feel strong.